This is episode 94. In this episode, we get to know a little bit more about the new Cal OES Law Branch Chief, a career lawman whose accomplishments precede him. And it all started in the San Mateo County Sheriff's Office here in California at a time when the cop culture was beginning a slow transition. You know, the old adage was you never went back to a call a second time without somebody going to jail. The Sheriff's Office at the time, when I first got hired, was more of the old school which uh, needed changing. From being a sworn officer to being nominated by President Obama as a U.S. Marshal, it required Senate confirmation, a process he says he won't soon forget. It took me almost 18 months from the time that I submitted the application to the time that I was confirmed. His patience and focus would be put to the test again after the Oakland Hills fires, an unknown arsonist. We had a, a, a series, almost 50 roadside fires. Was challenging investigators to stop him before he caused a full-blown disaster. We were doing full caseloads at the same time we were trying to do these surveillances, but we were the only game in town. What happened in that case? Did they ever catch the perp? Keep listening for the answer to those questions and more insight and plans from the new Cal OES Law Chief, Don O'Keefe. The conversation begins right now. All right, sitting in the media room here at Cal OES headquarters in Mather, California. With me is the new Cal OES Law Branch Chief, Don O'Keefe. Don, welcome. Thank you. You are relatively new here to Cal OES. Tell us a little bit about yourself, but first I want to know where you came from and basically how you got into law enforcement in the first place. Well, I guess let me start with my law enforcement career. Okay. Um, I started in 1980 with the San Mateo County Sheriff's Office, uh, rose through the ranks, worked, worked all the major divisions, um, retired as a captain in 2007, had the unique opportunity of becoming the police chief of the city of Half Moon Bay. And for those that don't know where Half Moon Bay is at, it's in San Mateo County along the coast side. Oh, it's a beautiful. Beautiful area. A lot of fog over there too, right? A lot of fog and a lot of people at the right uh, right times of year. Yeah. Um, so I was police chief there for almost four years. Um, was very much involved in the, you know, the, uh, the community. Um, had the opportunity to be the acting city manager on a couple of occasions when the city manager was, was away. Uh, was even the interim parks and rec director. So in a small city, you know, the police chief or fire chief, whatever, has a lot of hats that they put on. Mm -hmm. um, and since it was a low crime rate in the city, uh, it was mostly traffic-related problems or, mm -hmm. you know, during the summertime, people coming to the beach. Uh, but one of our big problems, or one of my big concerns, was emergency preparedness. So I spent a lot of my time with my fire counterparts, you know, preparing for those type of man- uh, you know, Mother Nature, I guess I should say, type of events. Right. <clears throat> you know, you know the weather problems, whether it be rain, closure of '92, or God forbid, a tsunami or earthquake. Right. So I <clears throat> stayed there until uh, 2010, and I had a unique opportunity um, to become the United States Marshal. And so I re received a call from a friend who was uh, associated with Senator Feinstein's office to see if I was interested which I was, and so I, you know, I uh, applied for the position and, um, you know, was uh, selected and went through a very rigorous background process and was nominated by President Obama and then subsequently confirmed by the U.S. Senate. And for the next 11 years, 11 and a half years, I was the United States Marshal for the Northern District of California, 
which is roughly the the coastal counties from Mo- uh, from Monterey County to Del Norte County mm-hmm. to the Oregon State Line. And uh, so I did that job, like I said, for 11 and a half years and was looking for a change and looking to get back into state and local law enforcement. And, uh, you know, I had heard about this job and was very interested in it because of its emergency nature, um, preparedness, uh, all the things that had been, you know, I'd done before on the local level. Yeah. So that's kind of how I got here. Okay. All right. So I am curious. Um, you know, you were talking about uh, Half Moon Bay, how beautiful it is. And uh, I was curious as to what types of challenges uh, someone in in that position in Half Moon Bay would deal with. And, and you're right. A lot of uh, tourists, depending on the, on the season, traffic incidents as well. And then you mentioned tsunami. So was there ever a moment when you were faced with something along those lines uh, of a tsunami? Did you have to actually deal with something like that? Yes, yeah, several times we had tsunami advisories or warning. I'm, I'm trying to remember which one is, I keep on forgetting which right. is the, the, the one with activates. But um, yeah, we had a couple of occasions where there would be a major earthquake, like in, like let's say, uh, Alaska. And we'd have to prepare for that coming down to the, on the coast side in California. Um, so, but yeah, a lot of emergency preparedness, working with community groups, because, you, you know, look at Half Moon Bay, it's, you know, you have Highway 1, Highway 92 are the main arteries. If they get shut down, you know, the city or the coast side is isolated. Mm-hmm. So a lot of time was work was spent working with the community to prepare, you know, for those type of disasters. Um, so, like I said, very low crime rate. So, you know, we also spent a lot of time with the juvenile population, you know, to keep them out of trouble. Right. Because, you know, there's not a lot to do on the coast side no, at night. Yeah. And boredom and boredom can become trouble yeah. for... <laughs> for kids exactly right <laughs> uh how did you get into law enforcement in the first place was the was it a family thing or what what drew your your attention to it you know so that's that's interesting because i um i actually went to high school in sacramento i went to encina high school and when i graduated uh came down to live with my dad and um so i went to the college of san mateo and i took a, a law enforcement class as an elective and i kind of liked it and uh, I ended up interning with the San Mateo County Sheriff's Office, and that's when I really got the interest in going into law enforcement. Um, so that's how, you know, that's how, that's how I got interested in it, um, is really taking an, an elective mm-hmm. class, in, you know, in a junior college. Funny how things work out, huh? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And there was no looking back. I mean, once you, once you were in it, you were in it. You were hooked. No, and unlike now, I used to have hair down to my shoulders. So that was kind of the look back in the 70s. Yeah, yeah it was. So, um, oh, you got to get me a picture for yeah, that. Yeah, I wish I could still find for, it. Oh, come on, you can find it. You just got to look. <laughs> well, let's, let's just say when I started interning with the sheriff's office, that was one thing that had to go. So. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, I haven't looked back. Uh, you know, like I say, started, uh, I was, became a reserve deputy in 1977 and hired full-time in 1980. Mm, all right. What was, uh, what was the attitude towards law enforcement back then when you first joined? Uh, I'd imagine it's changed quite a bit over the years. You know what? Yes, it, it has. And um, the sheriff's office had a reputation, um, you know, I would see being a little more stricter when it came to things than the city mm-hmm. police departments were. And I'm not saying that was a good thing. I think that, um, you know, it was, you know, the old adage was you never went back to a call a second time without somebody going to jail. So pretty much um, a lot of, of the sheriff's office at the time when I first got hired was more of the old school. 
which uh, needed changing. Mm. There wasn't much community policing. That was pretty much do what I say. No, you know, you didn't explain things to people, things of that nature. So um, when I started, it was a different time in law enforcement. Um, and it was a time that needed to change, and it slowly into the 80s changed, and the 90s, and more. I think more of the professionalism started in the mid 80s, mm. um, you know, with law enforcement. And we happened to, um, I think what really did it for our department was uh, when Don Horsley was elected sheriff, and uh, he really changed the department, you know, um, in the 1990s. Is that when the human psychology started to play more of a role in the community policing, trying to understand what people were were all about and uh, maybe not being so quick to say, do this or else? Yeah, I, I think so. <clears throat> and I think also too, but I wouldn't say there wasn't community policing mm -hmm. in the sheriff's office or some of the cities. In the sheriff's office, we had you know resident deputies that knew the community in the rural areas. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of it came down to the lack of funding, um, you know, to for training, you know, and sensitivity training. You know, one of the things that I would tell the trainees, listen, you can't talk to people like that. I mean, there's no need to do that. You always, you always could escalate something, but it's really tough to start at 10 and try to get back down to one again. So, um, you know, it took some time and with post uh, California Peace Officer Standards and Training, a lot of you know, during the, the late 80s, 90s, you started seeing more of the, the type of psychology, if you will, you know, social part of it, where trying to make, the, the, make police officers appear more, make them more human and not more of a robot and, mm. you know, um, alternatives to custody, things of that nature, make, you know, bringing law enforcement into that. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely seen a, a shift and, um, you know, you can't go into any law enforcement agency in California now without the emphasis being on community policing, problem-solving policing, things of that nature. The only thing I really know about the Marshal Service is it's a U.S. office, obviously, U.S. Marshal Service. Not sure exactly what it is they do, what their primary charge is. I hate to say it, but the only time I've ever seen anything on the Marshalls is the show Justified. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really interesting you should say that because uh, that is not the way the Marshalls are. <laughs> no, I didn't think so. They were not um, very pleased. I know the director at the time was not very pleased with the way the marshal And it was pretty realistic. I mean, uh, I mean, things that you see in the office and, you know, some of the, the talking and everything. You know, so they obviously had some really good technical advisors. So the U.S. Marshalls... Um, we're the oldest, or they are now, the oldest law enforcement agency uh, established in 1789 with the passage of the Judiciary Act, which created the federal court system mm -hmm. and also established the Office of the U.S. Marshal and the Office of the United States Attorney as well. Both of those positions um, are appointed by the president. And, you know, it's really interesting when you, when you see how the Constitution was drafted and some of the things that we're... They haven't changed it too much. They've added to the Constitution. Really, haven't changed it too much. So, what the forefathers did back then, really, they were really thinking. That's really thinking outside the box. So, the the marshal and the U.S. attorney both have to come from the district, and the re, the rationale behind that is with a large federal bureaucracy, they wanted someone leading those within the you know within the 
the, the court system, that actually was from the community, not somebody coming from Washington, D.C., mm. like the other federal law enforcement agencies. You may have somebody be the special agent in charge for the FBI. Uh, I'm not that downing any of these agencies, but they would be here two years and be gone. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I was the marshal for 11 and a half years. So uh, they had a lot of uh, stability. But the marshal service, the primary is the protection of the judiciary in the, in the court process. So you'll see the U.S. Marshals um, in the federal courts uh, were charged with the federal prisoners. Um, we also are, we are one of the largest, have one of the largest air fleets for moving prisoners in the world. Um, we um, obviously, what people see a lot of it uh, with us is the fugitive responsibility. We arrest more fugitives than any other, really any, any, any of the, definitely the federal law enforcement agencies, but. You, you have know. a bigger jurisdiction, <clears throat> right? You can. Yeah, well that, and, and, and that's the uniqueness of it, is the U.S. Marshal has the same authority as a state sheriff has. So we can go really anywhere in the United States and the territories as well, and we have this law enforcement mm. authority. Um, the other federal agencies have authority too as well, but in for their specific missions. But so you got fugitive apprehension, you got prisoners, you got the courts, uh, court security, uh, protection, you know, it's the protection of the federal judges. We also protect the Supreme Court justices when they leave the, uh, the District of Columbia. Hmm. Um, asset forfeiture, we, um, we're the custodians of the, these ill-gotten gains that criminals will be seized when they're arrested and after adjudication, and we'll sell those. Um, and then that money goes back to victims you know, of crime and third right, parties. Right. Now, you said this was a, a real rigorous process, the confirmation process. Describe that to me, and, and what was going through your mind this whole time? Right. So um, generally, when somebody gets a head of an agency, and you know, if it's a presidential appointment, um, there's about 1,200 positions that require Senate confirmation. You know, um, the the heads of agencies, lifetime appointments like judges, circuit judges, or Supreme Court justices, they actually have to go in person and be interviewed by the Judiciary Committee. So. For the rest of us who have to go through the process, they're not going to bring us all back to D.C. to do that. Just, just, they just don't have time. So, but we go through the same process. We're asked the same questions. And then, like myself, um, and they have somebody from what they call the minority and the majority um, that will ask you questions. And I actually had that, but it was a conference call for 15 minutes. Mm. They just had some questions. And that was, was representatives of the Judiciary Committee. So... Um, it does take a long time for the background. I mean, it's a. it took me almost 18 months from the time that I submitted the application to the time that I was confirmed. And a lot of that has to do with getting your national security clearance um, and just the process of getting through and then being nominated by the president and then getting through the Senate. Hmm. Sometimes that takes time just based on whatever they're doing. There have been some nominees that have been held up for months and months and months, not because of their qualifications, but because the senators are fighting among themselves for oh. the lack of better terms. Right. So that person, I know one in particular, was a, um, who was the marshal, I believe it was the Southern District of Louisiana, and she took her almost eight additional months because one senator was Democrat, one was Republican, and they were both arguing, and so nothing was moving. Um, so it, it's just the nature of the beast. Um, and you can't start that job until you're confirmed, right? Until I'm confirmed, right. Right. And then as soon as you're confirmed, 
you know, then the president will issue a commission, much like a military officer. So when I left, I had to resign my commission to the president. So I submitted my letter to President Biden, you know, resigning my commission. Hmm. Interesting. Really interesting. Was it a little uh, nerve wracking coming from something like that, coming back to this environment? Don O'Keefe will give us his thoughts on going from U.S. Marshal to Cal OES Law Chief in just a moment. Also, zeroing in on a Bay Area arsonist. We had a, a series, almost 50 roadside fires. Who was challenging investigators to stop him before he caused a full-blown disaster. We were doing full caseloads at the same time we were trying to do these surveillances, but we were the only game in town. Plus, lessons in leadership and all that jazz coming up. Back to our conversation with Don O'Keefe. Was it a little uh, nerve-wracking coming from something like that, coming back to this environment? Um, you know, I had been, you know, just because of my position, I was involved with many law enforcement organizations. So I, I, I kept my my finger on the pulse of what was going on in state and local law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, I think coming here is just a transition in the how quickly this agency moves and is expected to move. We're just waiting for our next, really, our next emergency, and that's what we're preparing for and responding mm-hmm. to. You're in a holding pattern. Yeah. That's what, yeah, that's, I think, that's a good analogy. I think everybody in this agency is just in a holding pattern. We have our day-to-day routine, but we know just around the corner, there's going to be something big happening. Right. It's just a matter of what and when. Yeah, and I, I think from my perspective, it's fun. It's just getting up to speed for like me right now. My biggest thing is getting up to speed. And I have to, <clears throat> and I have to you know, politely interrupt people at times and saying, hey, what is an F-bag word? You know, what yeah. is this, a, BC, a BCP? Because a lot of the nomenclature is different. Yeah. I had to do the same thing on the federal side, oh, too. It was I like, oh, imagine. my God, what, is this, what <laughs> does this mean? Yeah. But it's exciting. It's fun. It's, it's rewarding. Um, got some really good people, and I'm still learning too. I've only been here less than two months, so there's a lot, a lot, lot more to learn. So you are now sitting in uh, our former Chief Pazin's office. What did Chief Pazin have to say to you, if anything, about uh, your <laughs> your new role? <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of the thing, the, the adage that, that police chief or sheriff, you know, you, have, you open the drawer up, there's three envelopes. And, you know, anytime there's a problem, you open it up and open it up and says, Blame the blame the previous guy, blame the pre. Well, you can only do that so much. Yeah. No, I'm just joking. Um, no, he just he just you know prepared me for um, and Mark and I are, are good friends. So, you know, I've known him in this role ever since he took the job um, after he retired as being a sheriff in Merced mm-hmm. County. So, you know, I knew what he was going through and some of the things he was doing, and and um, he just you know he said, hey, you know, it's a, it's a great job, but. You know, you're going to be on the phone a lot. You're going to be coordinating a lot. Um, you know, our director is very engaged. And um, so, you know, just be prepared for that. Well, I just know Chief Hazen. He's, uh, he's a character. And I figured he had his own special way of welcoming you to, the, to his office. <laughs> Any booby traps or anything like that? No, just some corn nuts, you know, that you know, he dropped on the floor or something like that. Oh, but, funny. No, yeah. 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 If I haven't said it already, welcome. Uh, it's great to have you here. Now that you're here at Cal OES, and you've seen a little bit about, like you said, through your relationship with Chief Pazin, what are some of the things that you're aware of 
and some of the challenges that you see in this new position, this new role, looking ahead to the future that maybe you want to make some changes to? It may be premature for that, but is there anything that you've noticed coming in that you'd like to see either improve or change or just expand upon? Well, I think one of the things that's um, that, in fact, we just had a meeting today, um, you know, with the finance, and I think understanding the budget process, how things move within the Office of Emergency Services. Um, one of the changes that we're looking at doing right now is I'm engaging my deputy chiefs. Um, you know, they will be part of the budget process. Um, as you know, people know, we're kind of changing the way we're doing things with allotments. So that's a challenge. I'm used to coming in and seeing a budget, a monitoring report. Okay, where am I here or there? Um, and we're not, we don't really have that here. And um, I think, and that's something that, uh, you know, is being changed. And, and, uh, and I think a lot of it had to do because of the last couple of years and all the emergencies and, you know, the way money comes in and out. So I think that's one of the, the challenges is to have a better idea of, good, well, a good working handle on our budget for the law branch and then making sure that my deputy chiefs are part of that process so that you know number one we can stay in budget and number two we can you know use that knowledge to you know expand our branch um, because you know we see the need throughout the regions you know our director wants to be for uh, forward leaning and you know staffing is an issue uh, we have some retirements coming up and um, and we believe that we, we need more people for our region. So those are kind of the challenges. And we, you know, obviously with learning the budget process and we understand priorities, but uh, I think we'll be better situated to make those requests um, to executive management to get additional uh, personnel for the field. Because that's really what it's all about is taking care of our customers, which primarily, you know, the county sheriffs are the mutual aid coordinators for their counties, but you know, obviously the, the chiefs of police and and you know they're also a very important part of that but we want to provide the best possible service we can to them and you know that comes down to having people on the ground looking back on your career what are you most proud of what are some of your biggest successes and how did you how did you succeed wow let's see this is not an interview by the way <laughs> yeah yeah that's usually one an interview question yeah yeah that i've had on chiefs panels before I don't know if you remember the Oakland Hills fire. Mm -hmm. um, I was a detective sergeant at the time with the sheriff's office. And during that period, or right after that, we had a, a series, almost 50 roadside fires around the Woodside Portola Valley area, and then some into Palo Alto, but mostly in the Woodside Portola, Portola Valley area, which were contract cities to the sheriff's office. So, you know, there was a couple times if the wind would have been and then the humidity went right, and the wind was like a going from, you know, like a, I guess, a Santa Ana, it could have burned all the way to the coast. And if you've ever seen San Mateo County along 280, it's just beautiful with the watershed and everything. Mm -hmm. So we set, um, you know, you know we're, we didn't know who the person was. We very little information on suspect description. We had aerial, we had the airplane up as much as possible trying to focus on, because he was bouncing between different areas. And you know, it was getting to the point where my lieutenant was saying, you know, listen, you know, you're spending too much time on this or whatever. And we just kept at it. And ultimately, our plan worked out. There was a fire at Kenyatta College. Just so happens our units came in. They were close by. They were unmarked units. And we were able to, um, you know, um, 
to make the arrest. Um, the guy literally had his car, the front part of his car with matches. He was just throwing out. Jeez. And uh, turned out that, you know, we sustained a conviction. He did go to a, I think, uh, where did he go? He had Tascadero for the criminally insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was, a, I think that was very satisfying because, you know, a lot of it had to do, we were doing full caseloads at the same time we were trying to do these surveillances. And it was one of those things that, um, you know, was not so much traditional for law enforcement, um, but we were the only game in town. And, um, you know, there could have been some really, that that whole Woodside Portola Valley area could have gone up because you have to fight it with air tankers. That's about the only way you're gonna get in that wooded area. Mm-hmm. So that was probably one of the, the successes in, on a, in my investigative side and when I, when I worked investigations that, you know, a lot of time and effort put into it, surveillances, and people were giving me the fish eye, you know. And we we were planning on going to November 1st when the rains were starting to come. And we got them about three or four days prior to that. So, oh, man. Yeah, so I think that, I think that was one of them that... Uh, so p- perseverance <clears throat> and, uh, right. and planning. And I think the other thing I would just bring up, just as the U.S. Marshal, when the pandemic hit... Um, we, we actually put together uh, in the courts, the judges and the, what we call the court family, you know, the U.S. attorney, you know, defense attorneys and probation, pretrial services. We had to come up with, with keeping federal court open without bringing the defendants into the court. So we actually we had to work with our partner at the Alameda Sheriff's Office where had about 400 prisoners there. And so we, had, we were able to keep federal court going remotely. And that just, you know, that was the success I was involved in because there was many people, but we were a key component of it because obviously the prisoners are in my custody and we had the contract and with Alameda County and spending a lot of time trying to keep our partners on board because mm-hmm. we had a lot of asks for them that we, ne- we were not necessarily paying for, which was above and beyond what the contract called for. Mm-hmm. Okay. So obviously with uh, a lot of success, uh, there's got to be one or two smaller mistakes in there uh, throughout your career. Uh, tell me about one of your mistakes and really kind of what you gleaned from that. What did you learn from it? And maybe someone else can learn from you. You know, I think nothing in particular other than, I mean, there's been obviously mistakes, but I think the thing I would want to talk about it is it would want to say is taking the opportunity when, when you have a, a major decision, very few things, even in this job here, very few decisions you have to make right away. You know, unless you're a first responder, you know, responding to a bar, you know, robbery in progress or responding to a fire. But I think, you know, as a manager, as a supervisor, you know, take that discretionary time. Keep your emotion out of it. Step back. You know, talk to people if you need to get advice before you make those decisions. So there were decisions that I made rather hastily and I'm just trying to think. I know there's there's several of them yeah. that I regretted because I should have just stepped back. Maybe you know I was not in the right frame of mind at the time, and um, the decision was not the best thought out. And in retrospect, I didn't have to make that decision. Um, and I think you also have to take into consideration too, like for instance, whenever I work traffic, if I was in a bad mood, if I wasn't what for whatever reason. If I was in a bad mood as a cop in uniform, I never, I never work traffic. Oh. Because I know that, you know, unless I was getting dispatched to a call, I knew that, you know, making, you know, multiple traffic stops 
sooner or later it was gonna, I mean, it was gonna come out that I was not in a good mood. Mm. And that's not the way you wanna be when you're, when you're meeting the public under any circumstances. So I think recognizing that, you know, you're, the way you come off to people, um, you, need to, you need to check your ego, you need to constantly evaluate, especially when you're in uniform, but really anybody that's a supervisor or manager, how are you coming off to people? Are you getting your message across? Is it coming off in a manner that's either offensive or you're talking down to them? Um, so I think you need to reevaluate how you interact with people, especially as a manager in my position. You know, it's, it's, it's like when you're in uniform, everybody's watching you. Same thing when you're the chief or the director, people are watching you. So when you say something, then they take it to heart. So you gotta be careful how you do it. It just takes time, but you make mistakes and you just learn from them. There you go. Final question. What kind of music did you listen to last? Um, well, I like a variety of music, but I, I, I actually like jazz music. Do you? Yeah. And like, like classic jazz or sort uh, of newer? I would say, you know. Like Miles I'm, Davis? or I would say like a Miles Davis, yeah. um, you know. Um, Coltrane. Coltrane and, mm -hmm. and these other, uh, what was it, the guy, Bird. Uh, I think it, it's amazing because I, I listen to KCSM. And you'll they'll have something on, and it's like, well, that sounds really good. I wonder, you know, geez, I'd like to go see that group. Mm. Then you find out, okay, well, that was Miles Davis in 1955, <laughs> no, of, you know, at, know, playing at the, you know, you know, the Black Dog in San Francisco or something. Right. Uh, but you know, different type of rock and roll, usually more 60s, 70s music. Mm -hmm. um, but I do like jazz and more of the, um, like you say, more of the Miles Davis mm -hmm. or you know, Chick Corea. Um, and sometimes the slower jazz. Yeah, I'm not into Dixieland jazz or something like my right. mom used to love that. But right. um, not so much Kenny G or that yeah, style. Yeah, you know, yeah. Some something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've always been a rock and roll guy. My dad was a musician, and he grew up, or I grew up listening to him play like big band, right. military band. He was he played in the Air Force band. I mean, yeah. that's what he did for a long time. And so when I brought rock and roll into the house for the first time, he's like, what the hell no, <laughs> hell no. But as I got older, I became more appreciative of classical and jazz. And in fact, one of my favorite albums that I play that has nothing to do with rock and roll is kind of blue, mm. you know, Miles Davis. Yeah. I mean, it's the greatest. And I bought it on vinyl and I, and I play it. I've got a really nice sound system at home. And when I play that and the needle hits, you can't even hear it. You can't hear the needle hit, and you cannot hear any pops or anything. It's just the recording that happened at that time for that album will challenge anything that's recorded nowadays. Right. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's such a great album, and I love it. And I just put it on in the background while I'm getting things done. You know, mm -hmm. I love jazz. I, I really do, and I'd love to learn more about it. Um, I've had friends that have played jazz, uh, drummers and uh, it's guitar players. It's amazing. Yeah, it is, and I, one of my regrets is not learning to play a musical mm. in, instrument because I think it takes a lot of talent. And, uh, you know, especially when you... And, and you were talking about Miles Davis, and some of that was live, right? Yeah. And it's like, wow. You know, yeah. you don't you think it's like in a the studio, and then all of a sudden it's over and people are clapping. And it's like, wow, that was, that sounded really good. Oh, now, maybe yeah, they've, yeah. they've made it up a little bit over the years or did some um, did sort of stuff digitally on it, but... You know, to me, it's just like, wow, these guys are really talented. Really talented, and that era 
was a very special era uh, for jazz. I mean, that's one of the things that America has uh, to claim as its mm. own. That's yeah. jazz. Yeah. And uh, I love it. I really do. Some of my friends don't understand why, why you like jazz. Well, <laughs> either you do or you don't. That's exactly it. You're you know, right. You're you right. don't. Okay. So I want to thank you uh, for talking with me here, trying to get folks to know just who Chief Don O'Keefe is. And uh, I think you've shed a little bit of light on that. Good luck with your, you. your tenure here at Cal OES. And uh, we'll be looking forward to seeing you out on some incident somewhere in the, I have a feeling, the near future. <laughs> Great. And, and thank you very much for that. And, um, you know, I, I enjoyed the time here talking with you today as well. And look forward, and forward to meeting all the other OES family members. Sounds good. Take thank care, you. sir. Thank you. My thanks to Chief O'Keefe for sitting down with me for this session. We all want to learn a little bit about our new colleagues, and this is just another way to do that for both us and you. And thanks to you for tuning in. We'd love for you to subscribe to All Hazards on your favorite podcast platform. If you have any questions or ideas, send me an email to media at caloes.ca.gov. For everyone in the Cal OES Office of Public Information, I'm Sean Boyd. Take care and be safe. You've been listening to the Cal OES All Hazards Podcast. Don't forget to check out our podcast page where you can find past episodes along with show notes and links. And give us a social shout out. Tell others about us on Twitter and Facebook. And let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you.